Thank you, Susan and Kim, for leading us in that song. I hope you take time this week to meditate on the lyrics of the song we've just uh, introduced to you and uh, come ready to sing it next week as we uh, want to express our dependence and trust on the Lord. The psalm that we are looking this morning at, it's Psalm 127, a psalm that encourages us to look to God as a God who is essential for our livelihood. In our world today, we often, when we want to emphasize something as being of critical importance, as needing for our experience, for life, and for sustenance, we use the word essential. Uh, during times of COVID, uh, there were many things that were questioned, what is essential? What do we need to hold on to, to be able to, to, uh, to work through the stormy times of, of COVID? And we all understand and know what, how people debated, what is essential? This morning, I want to present to you and I want to share with you from this passage of Scripture uh, that of all the things you may think are essential for your life, this psalm that we are looking at will teach us that God is essential. There's many things we can think about as, we needing, as needing, as being essential for our life, but this psalm wants to highlight the reality that God is essential for us. Here's God's word from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go out late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are our heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me? Let's pray to God to speak to our hearts through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to the words that I have just read and the message that I'm about to proclaim. I need your help and we need your help. Father, we pray that Christ would dwell among us in this time so that his name, so that his glory, his fame, his authority would be in our hearts as we are drawn to you to trust you and depend on you. We pray that Christ would be exalted. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The message this psalm gives to us is simple. God is essential for our lives, so depend on him. God is essential for our lives, so depend on him. Let me put it this other way. God is essential for our lives, so depend on him. Well, some of you laugh, but it's possible that for some of us, deep down in our hearts, we think that God is just, he's there to call on him like we call on the firefighters if there's a fire. We can go on with our lives, uh, not ever really trusting or depending on firefighters 
when there's no fire. When in Hayes County there's a fire. There's a wildfire going on in, in South Austin. And the firefighters are very needed in times like this. Over 400 acres have been burned already. May the Lord, may the Lord have mercy on us. But throughout the week, we usually don't need to trust and depend on firefighters to be there so that we may have a good day. We don't depend on them so that we can have a blessed week. And sometimes we think of God being the same way. He's there, but we can have a good day, even if he's not actively, presently engaged in all the little details that we do. And this psalm wants to teach us that God is not like a firefighter. Just there, in case you need him. No, this psalm wants to teach us God is essential for our lives. We must depend on him in every area of life. How is this psalm teaching us that God is essential? Well, it will show us three examples or three circumstances, three areas of life. And you might be surprised which one they are. God is involved and is essential in our lives, in our work, in our rest, and in our family time. In our work, in our rest, and our family life and time. Let's see how God is essential in our work. In verse 1, the psalmist begins with these words, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do you see how this verse points to God's essential role in our work? Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. And this verse has one primary point, which is repeated twice in these examples of building, a man building a house and uh, a security guard watching over a city. In both scenarios, the psalmist makes a crystal clear point that God's active involvement in our work is essential. Otherwise, whatever we do in our work is going to be in vain. This means that God must be involved in our work. Otherwise, it's all in vain. And this is what I mean by God is essential in all our work. Unless he is actively involved in what we do, the labor of our hands will be in vain. Now there's two surprises as I was meditating on this passage that hit me this week. The first one is that God, the God of the universe, it cares to be involved actively in the mundane day-to-day -day tasks of our labors. Just think about that for a moment. God, the God of the universe, has the ability, the desire, the capacity to be actively involved in the work you and I do in our secular jobs during the week. Does that surprise you? That he wants to be involved in your labor, whatever it is. If you're a builder building houses, 
a general contractor, uh, he's, he's there. If you're a security guard watching over the building, watching over a city, God is there watching with you. These two scenarios are mere examples. The examples could be multiplied to any area of life. If God is able and willing to be involved in something as basic as builders building a house and a security guard watching over a city, oh friends, God wants to be involved in any and every task that we may find as simply the mundane day-to-day responsibilities we have at our work. Even if those activities don't seem to be directly spiritual. If you are a stay-home mom, God wants to be with you in the work that you do on the home front. If you are a nurse, God wants to be with you working in what you are doing as a nurse. If you are a software engineer writing code for your company, God wants to be involved in your labor. And as a matter of fact, we might say, in whatever labor you do, unless the Lord is doing it with you and through you, it is in vain. Well, friends, this should bring us great encouragement. And this is the other surprise, the second surprise. Not only that the God of the universe would be actively interested, actively able to be involved in any and every kind of labor, But the encouragement is that that means we're not doing it alone. We're not alone in that work. The work that is to be done is to be done in dependency, ultimately not on us, but ultimately on the God who is working in us, with us, through us, and is able to make our work flourish. Friends, this should also encourage us in our prayers. No matter what kind of work we do, We should bring our labors to God in prayer. We should actively ask the Lord to work because we know He wants to and He can. Ask Him to be with you in your workplace, no matter how frustrating it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hopeless it may feel to be. Have you ever heard people say, pray as if all depends on God and work as if all depends on you? Pray as if all depends on God and work as if all depends on you. I think I understand what people want to say through that saying. It's it's a way of saying, hey, depend on God all the way, but, but when it comes to work, really do it as if it's all just you. There's a number of ways in which that phrase is deeply deficient. It's deeply deficient. Because on one side... Yes, we want to depend on God. We're going to pray as if it all depends on God. But when when it comes to do the work, we must not forget what we prayed for. We must not treat our work life separate from our spiritual life. We must see our spiritual life and our work life integrated. So when when we pray and then we go on and work as if it all depends on us, have we just forgotten what we prayed for. This passage is telling us that when it's time to do the work, you're not alone. You're you're not working on your strength. You're working on the strength that God has given you, on the wisdom that God has given you, on the health that God has given you. Friends, why should I work 
as if it does not depend on me. Oh, friends, because I, because I realize in this psalm, God says, unless the Lord builds, it's going to be in vain. Unless the Lord watches, it's going to be in vain. So I want to work, I want to be engaged in my tasks, knowing that I'm not alone in this. Actually, this is reassuring. It's a reassuring, uh, reassuring to know that God wants to be involved in our work, that he's not leaving us alone. This helps us not to be overwhelmed and overstressed. It's when we forget these truths of verse 1, that's, that's when we have a hard time guarding against the anxious toil of verse 2. If I know that the Lord is working through my labors, I am freed of the stress that it all depends on me. I'm freed of feeling hopeless or overwhelmed. Knowing that God is the one who's working through my labors is like being reminded that I have an expert, a professional, someone who has it all, knows it all on my team. He's my counsel. He's my coach. He's my encourager. I am not working alone. God's active role in our work frees us from thinking that our work is all dependent on us. And it frees us from thinking that our work is actually potentially in vain. Some of you have a a secular job, may feel like the value of working for helping a company grow uh, in its profits is not a very highly spiritual calling in life. And you may see little spiritual value in that work. But friend, if God is involved in watching over a city so that it remains safe, God is happily involved in the work you do for a secular company. Do what it's supposed to do. If you are a teacher, God wants to work in your teaching. If you're a garbage man, God wants to work to keeping the streets of our city clean. If your work, you feel like it's something that's just not of much interest to you or much value to God, take this psalm. And the psalm reminds you that God wants to be involved in every kind of work that makes this world prosper and flourish and be at peace. So friends, don't think that you're on your own when it comes to doing the work. Pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on God. That's the way to do it. God is essential in our work. He's involved in all that we want to do. On the flip side, no matter how valuable we think our work is or how much benefit it brings to society, or how good of a job we are doing on our own, even apart from God, if we do the work apart from the Lord, apart from God, in the end, it will be in vain. This week, heard the news, read the news, how the Prime Minister of Canada, Trudeau, how his family is breaking apart. I thought to myself, how, how sad... Here's a man who's giving his life to keep the country together, to run the country, to lead the country of Canada. And yet he's not able to keep his family together. Not able to lead his family moving forward. Not able to protect his family moving forward. You can think that the work you do as a politician, as a, as a work in, 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 in government leadership is, 
is very, uh, very significant and, and has significant effects for the whole nation of Canada, and it does. And yet, who cares if the family is breaking apart? So ask yourself, do you see God as involved in your work, or do you separate your spiritual life and your work life? Do you depend on God for all that you do? What would it look like for you this week to, to crank up your expectations of reliance on the Lord in the mundane responsibilities you do on your job front? What are some ways in which you might tend to separate these two realms of your life? And, and this passage is actually encouraging you to bring them together. Do you switch gears when you are away from this place? thinking that you're all on your own, going into a crazy week. Well, friends, you're not alone. God is with you. God is essential in your work. Unless the Lord is involved in our labors, our work is in vain. But this psalm tells us that God is essential not only in something as basic and as mundane as work. God is also essential in our rest. God is essential in our rest. And this is what verse 2 points us to. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Does it surprise you to hear that God is involved in our lives, not only in our work, but in our rest? That God wants to give to his beloved rest, sleep. Some translations, uh, depending on which Bible version you have, might have something like, for he gives to his beloved even in sleep. That might be a slightly different nuance of this verse. In other words, that God is able to provide for his people even while they are resting. I think it, it, the first interpretation that we have in our ESV Bibles are probably a better interpretation and translation. The point, though, is that God is essential in our lives in its comprehensive existence. Work and rest. God is there. And God is the one who wants to be involved actively. Well, friends, think about the fact that sleep, even sleep, is something that comes from God. Even the ability to rest comes from God. When God is involved in our work, he provides us not only with effectiveness in our work, but with effectiveness in resting from our work. The contrast in this verse is not between work and sleep, but between anxious work and the ability to rest. God's intention for our work is not to become slaves to anxious toil. That's the culprit. It's not just work, it's anxious work. Some people have difficulties with being able to sleep. I am envious of uh, people like my wife who can just put their heads down on the, on the pillow and two minutes later, they're asleep. I cannot do that. I wish I could. Uh, there are some people who just biologically are able to sleep quicker and easier than others. Some of us in this gathering have a hard time, and it's, it's a whole routine of, of falling asleep. 
If that's you this morning, I want to assure you, it does not mean that you have fallen off of the list of God's beloved. It does not mean that you are not loved by the Lord if you are not able to sleep easily or quickly. The point here is that to those whom the Lord loves, He is so providing that even, even the ability to rest from the anxious toil, not just from work, but from anxious toil, is a gift that God is able to give. Oh, friends, if, if, God is, if God has rested on His work of creation, after six days of creating the universe and all that is in it, on the seventh day, God rested. He wants to give rest to those who are reconciled with Him. I want to clarify this to us all because it's clear. The psalmist speaks, God gives rest to his beloved. God gives the ability to rest to those who are reconciled with him. Well, friends, it's not a coincidence that in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews describes our relationship with Christ. When we embrace Jesus by faith, when we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, that the author of Hebrews describes this gospel reality through the image of rest. We rest. Friends, only those who are right, made right with God by repenting of their sins and trusting Christ can ultimately be beneficiaries of the rest that God gives to his beloved. If you're not a Christian, if, you, if you're here visiting this morning, you're not yet sure where you are spiritually with God I want to encourage you to turn to God through Jesus Christ. Because it is only as you turn to Him in Christ, putting your trust in Christ, that you are among His beloved. And when you are among His beloved, God wants to protect us from being slaves to the anxious toil in such a way that God wants to give us a life that we benefit from rest, spiritual rest as well as physical rest. Friends, if your attitude in this life is just to keep on doing the best you can, just keep on working and working working, whether it's physical labor or even spiritually speaking, working and working spiritually as if you're, you're earning God's right, God's affections through your work. Friends, no. The gospel is the, is the news that we earn God's affections not through our work, but through his work. Not through our ongoing production of, of good deeds, but through Jesus' perfect obedience. And when, when we become right with God, when we're reconciled with God, we become part of his beloved. Oh, friends, God wants us to live a life that is not enslaved to the anxious toil that so easily lures every one of us. This verse is not encouraging us to laziness. There are plenty of verses in the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, that encourage believers to have a hard work ethic, to do things as unto the Lord. And yet, while we are diligent and in our work, we should not give in to anxiousness in our toiling. Instead, let us rely on the Lord who both works in our labor and also sets margins in our lives so we can rest because even sleep, even sleep is a gift from the Lord. 
Do you consider sleep and rest a gift from the Lord? Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are hard to control, that are hard for us to control. Others are creating stressors in our lives, pressures from work, bosses and co-workers that, that have unrealistic expectations and demands on our work, things that are outside of our control and life so that our life at times does become like anxious toil, stressful, overwhelming. This verse is not saying that you are outside of God's will in those circumstances, but is it possible that some of our anxious toiling on which we actually do have a control over, when we give and allow ourselves to, to work in that kind of anxious toiling, is it possible that it's a reflection that we are not depending on the Lord but on ourselves? I love how one Bible teacher put it beautifully. In the Bible, the opposite of rest is not work, but restlessness. Restlessness. Friends, how can we work as unto the Lord without being restless? How can we work in the, in the, in the responsibilities the Lord gives us and at the same time have the margins that God puts in us and for us that we should also rest? Because sleep is a gift from the Lord. And God is essential in our lives by showing us that he wants to be the giver of your sleep. You thought that in your sleep you can just forget about God and just try to go to sleep on your own? Even in your sleep, even in rest, you need the Lord. That's how essential God is. Even for something as basic as sleep. And finally... The third area that God is essential in our lives, and this passage shows it to us, is that God is essential not only in our work, not only in our sleep. He is essential in our family life. God is essential in our family life. We see this in verses 3 to 5. Growing a family may seem to be a matter of mere biology. But this psalm tells us otherwise. That actually, God is the source of our children. Look at verses 3 and 4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Did you notice how the psalm describes children? Two images in verse 3 and another image in verse 4. Verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. I love how Bible teacher Alec Motier put it beautifully, children are not our achievement, but his gift. So in a completed house and a guarded city, all life must be lived to the full, all its joys enjoyed and all its duties performed in unworried reliance on him who is the doer of all. Joyful activity, toilsome activity, but full of untroubled rest. And even children, even the, the life of children is a gift we receive from the Lord. Oh, friends, if children are a gift from the Lord, 
That means that they are entrusted to us. We don't own them. We are not their ultimate source of life. We receive them from God. He gives them to us as something he owes, uh, he owns, and he gives them to us as a reward, as a gift. Some couples would love to have children and they cannot. They struggle with infertility. It's hard for them to hear this message. They wonder what, why is the Lord withholding children from them? They might be tempted to think that God is upset with them. But this verse tells us that none of us should feel entitled to having children. God does not owe it to us to give us children. Why is it that God may withhold children from some couples who deeply want them? I do not know. But it's not like a transaction. God, I do this, you do this for me. It's a reward. God may choose to give it to some and not to others. We should pray for those who are struggling with infertility. We should pray that God may, may change his plans and grant them children. And if he chooses not to grant them children, that the Lord would help them, help couples who are struggling with infertility, hold on to the Lord, trust in the Lord, knowing that the Lord is essential in their lives. We should pray for those who struggle with infertility. But think about how this also affects us when we have couples around us who struggle and are hit with the tragedy of losing the life of a child. Whether that child is a young child or whether that child is still in the womb through a miscarriage. Our children belong to the Lord before they belong to us. They are His before they are ours. If the Lord chooses to give us children whose lives are very, very, very short with us, way shorter than we expect or we would want, let us leave it up to God's providence. Our children belong to God before they belong to us. The Lord gives them to us. And because the Lord gives them to us, He can determine the length of their time with us. But this verse also, this passage also challenges our society who would imagine and wants us to think that babies in the womb are mere piece of flesh that are our property, that we have the right to do with them what we want to do with them. Well, friends, this psalm would teach us otherwise. This psalm would confront our society's understanding that what happens in the womb of a woman as a child is being knit together. As if that's somehow something that is that we own them and they're our property. And we have the right to do whatever we want with them. No, they're not our property. They're God's property. They belong to the Lord. And we are given, the, we're given these children as something we are entrusted to care for and protect. If children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord, then parents, how do you view your time with your children? Let's not neglect our children. Let's spend time with them, investing in raising them up in the love of God, in the fear of the Lord, knowing that they are the Lord's. We are stewards. 
the Lord has asked us to parent them, to raise them up, but they are the Lord's. Dads, moms, but especially dads, do you see your time with your children as a stewardship God has entrusted to you? The children the Lord has given you are His. He entrusted them to you for a season. They should not be viewed as a distraction in your life calling. They are a part of your life calling. Children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord. Well, friends, in our society that is so busy, that distracts us, and that we are so tied up with work, it's so easy to neglect our families. It's easy to neglect our children. It's easy for me as a pastor to not watch over the healthy boundaries of caring well for and being involved in a healthy way in the, in the home life. And yet all of us, no matter what kind of work we do, no matter how spiritual or unspiritual it feels, we must remember that children are a gift and a reward from the Lord that we must steward well and care for them well because they're not ours. They are the Lord's. If, if God is essential in our family life in a way that he helps us rethink about children, God also wants to crush the value of our society that says that uh, we should wait on having children as far as we can, as late as we can. This verse actually encourages parents to have children in their young age. This means you should get married when you're young so you can have children when you're young. I'm so glad that Kyle chose to get married when he's young, that Curtis and Joyce got, <laughs> chose to get married when, he's, when they're young. Praise be to God. Ask Curtis what his friend told him when he found out that he has a kid. Our society would tell you don't commit for marriage until you're older. And even if you get married when you're younger, this is, our society would tell us just wait until you're older. If God is essential in the lives of our families, he's actually calling the shots, get married young and have children when you're young. Now, I understand some single adults are struggling. They're, wait, they're waiting for the Lord to bring that significant other. And for some, just like for some couples, it's hard to have children. For some singles, they are they're struggling to wait for the Lord to bring that significant other. Friend, continue to wait and ask for the Lord to bring that person to you. Why the Lord would choose to work in some situations differently than what he prescribes and, and wants in the psalm, I don't know. But pray that the Lord it would bless the singles of our congregation with godly spouses. I just want you to know that I'm singles, I am praying for you, that the Lord would do that for you. The question is not for those who want to get married young and are just the Lord is not making that possible yet. The question is not for those who want to have children uh, at a young age. It's just that the Lord is not making that possible for them. The issue is for those who can and choose not to. The Lord would have an encouragement for you. Don't be selfish in the way you view your life so that you think of just continuing to live a, a single life on your own when you could get married, you just don't want to. 
uh, or you just are afraid of committing. Don't be afraid. Look to the Lord. He will help you. Get married young and have children young. Now, what? That, that's quite an advice for Sunday morning. And some of you parents will say, Pastor, don't say that. My kids are not ready yet. Well, get them ready. Talk to them so they get ready. That's what parenting is for. But the Lord wants his children to flourish. The Lord wants his children to, to, to get married, to establish families, and with families to have children and establish a society that honors the Lord, that seeks the Lord, that knows the Lord. Oh, friends, this psalm ends with a picture of a father with his children enjoying protection and safety from his enemies. And that safety comes through his children who support him at the city gate. Look at the blessing that we receive in verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's amazing here that the psalm that started with a picture of God providing protection over a city. Unless a watchman watches over the city, the watchman looks in vain. Here is a picture of God saying, here's how I want to bless my people. I want to bless them with families. My, the blessing of the Lord, the protection of the Lord comes through family relationships that God wants us to, to invest in. The Lord brings protection through the safety that should exist in a healthy family life. Where God is absent from the life of a family, we see the effects of that society. When fathers are absent from rearing their children, there's no more unity and safety in the home. There's no more unity and safety in society. Are we surprised to see that where the nuclear family's influence has been distorted, children are no longer a means of safety and protection, but they become a source of violence and destruction? Are you surprised? Are we surprised that as a society when we have so not only neglected, but now we are putting a war on the nuclear family, our society is actively fighting against the picture of a nuclear family? Are we surprised that we are seeing the results of violence and disruption and destructiveness all around us? God says he wants to bless a society God wants to look over and look after society, but it starts with what happens in the home. When parents are receiving children as a gift from the Lord, are investing in their children and caring for them as stewards and not neglecting them. Oh, friends, the blessing that comes when moms and dads cultivate that relationship with their children, there's harmony, unity, and when these children grow up and become adults, no wonder that what we see here is the effect of a father surrounded by his offspring. And there's protection against his enemies. For some people, the family and the family life is not a safe place. 
For some people, the family life is not a safe place. It's not a peaceful place. And that can happen even among Christians. Sadly, the effects of sin, the effects of conflict, the, effect, the effects of just various forms of sinful destruction affects even Christian families. Friends, this is, this is how God wants to be essential in the life of our family. To help us cultivate peace. To help us cultivate unity. And sometimes there's not much you can do with those who no longer want to have peace with you. And some of you have family members who you're trying to cultivate and be peaceful and reestablish connections, but, but you can't. Because as far as it depends on you, you do everything to live in peace, but it's not just dependent on you. So for those of you who are living family lives where peace and unity is lacking, do the best you can. Do your part as much as you can. And leave the rest to the Lord. Pray and wait. But we see here that God is, wants to be essential in the lives of our, of our daily mundane existence through our family relationships, what's going on in our families because God wants to bless our families with peace and security and provision so that we would flourish in the Lord. God is essential in our family life. So let his values determine how you think about marriage and about children. Having children and raising children is a God-given responsibility. One Bible teacher put it beautifully, All the honest hard work in the world is in vain, says the psalmist. Unless the Lord, rather than you yourself, is the person you rely on. God is essential. You're not. God is essential. I am not. God is essential in our work. God is essential in our rest. God is essential in our family life. Without him, there would be no place. Without him, there would be no peace. Without him, there would be no people. Friends, so much of our lives, we're tended to think, oh, it's just the mundane life. Sometimes we, because our life is mundane and routine, we think that God is mundane and routine. But this psalm would encourage us to think otherwise. He is present and actively working in your day-to-day, Monday life. Some of us are waiting and looking to God to be involved just in the big stuff. Big decisions, big experiences, but this psalm teaches us he's involved in the small things, the routine, the mundane. Put God at the center of your life. Look to him for, sor for your source of life, for your source of peace, for your reconciliation with him and with one another, for your sense of, sense of rest, and for your family. God is essential in all of our lives. So let's depend on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a psalm that is so basically engaging us in the day-to-day -day responsibilities we have. Father, as we depart from this place, help us look to you. Help us depend on you. Help us see you involved in, in every area of our life. Father, we pray that you would be essential as we depart from this place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.